Leader Spotlight. On this podcast, we bring you the stories of leaders, their personal journeys, and the inspiring things they are doing in their organization. I'm Annette Klozowski, your host, along with Annie Brown, our producer and co-host. This is your next episode of Leader Spotlight. Today, we will be talking with Danny Nelms about the tight label market and the continued increase of voluntary employee turnover. Danny is the president of the Work Institute and co-writer of The Y Factor. So I'm very intrigued to have Danny with us today. And Annie, it is another good day for a podcast. How are yes. you? I'm very good. It's kind of a, a cloudy day here in California, but, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll survive. Yeah, I feel real bad for you. <laughs> In San Diego, one of my favorite places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't, I can't complain too much. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit. I know um, we are really just getting started with this podcast. We've got great momentum and uh, love the feedback we're getting from listeners. And we're just so appreciative of all the support. So, and I want you to talk a little bit about how they can get us input. Yeah, so you know, we always mention that you can uh, leave reviews. It's a it's a small thing that goes a long ways because it helps us to create more episodes for you guys to enjoy. And another thing um, that's a really great way to get involved is to actually interact with our Instagram account. So it's at Leaders Spotlight on Instagram, and uh, you can comment on posts. There we'll be sharing as soon as episodes are released, they get uh, posted right there. And also you can, you know, tag people you think would be great on the podcast, uh, send us messages if you'd like to be on the podcast, and also just leave, you know, questions and feedback, uh, and we'll be sure to get back to you on that. Yes, that's great. So what podcast are you listening to, Annie? Currently, I know we're both podcast junkies. (laughs) Yeah, good questions. Uh, Well, I, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. And I actually, you know, it's funny because I produce the podcast myself. And then I I actually just, you know, when I'm getting ready, I actually listen to Leader Spotlight uh, because listening to it all the way through is different than uh, uh, producing it. And I learn things even beyond like listening a second time. So I'll definitely put your spotlight on there. Um, but then as far as like podcasts, I think, I mean, I got, I, when I was in Oklahoma, I got your daughter hooked on, um, uh, true crime podcasts. And one that I recommended to her was the vanished, which is about, um, it's about missing persons. Um, and I like it cause she has a really like sensitive approach to these families who really don't have any closure as to, you know, where their loved ones went. And she promotes, um, she promotes stories that aren't in the media a lot. So I like that too. And she's actually done a lot of good work to help people kind of find closure. She's actually like found people that were missing. And so that's a really great one. Um, and then the mornings I always listen to NPR, uh, news now. So it's just like a quick 15 minute update on news that's going on around the world. And then the last one I would recommend would probably be um, Hidden Brain. And that one is super cool because basically what they do is they talk about uh, neuroscience, but in really an anecdotal way. So they sort of um, focus on an overarching topic. Like I think the last one was uh, forgiveness. And they 
then go into, they talk to different experts from different perspectives of that issue and talk about like the brain aspect of it, but then also the emotional, psychological, um, academic research that's going on with it. So yeah, I really recommend the hidden brain because they talk about all sorts of things kind of from a neurological perspective, but you know, something that you can understand if you're not a neuroscience scientist, which I, I am not. <laughs> I fall in that category too. Right. Okay, great. I love yeah. those. Yeah. How about, how about yourself? Are you listening to any good ones besides Leader Spotlight, of course? Um, you know, I, I am. I started listening to the Stoicism on Fire, a subject I've really studied a lot, but there were a couple of um, topics within that podcast series that I really liked. And then um, I came across uh, Jay Shetty, who does an on-purpose one, and he entered, he interviews uh, some has some inter, interesting interviews with people on there, and it's kind of the behind-the-scenes story of their um, climb to success. So I've been enjoying that, and then Ten uh, Percent uh, Happier, that's a good one too. It talks a lot about meditation and. Uh, just kind of how you start to create a practice of meditation and what it does. And again, they bring different people on as well. So I have a lot, but those are, those were some of my, my most recent listen to podcast. Nice. I'll have to check some of those out. I always, I always try to make an effort to break up true crime podcasts with like <laughs> nice podcasts. Cause otherwise <laughs> I'll start to have like really kind of creepy dreams and stuff. So yeah, I'll, I'll do the 10% happiness in between my true crime ones. I think that's a good, a good mix. That's funny. Yes, my daughter is now hooked on it, which is good because I think she was watching different surgeries, different oh, things. No. Uh, she she would listen to a lot of them, but anyway, she's hooked. Well, let's jump in. I'm I'm excited about uh, today's guest. Today's leader spotlight is Danny Nels, and as I mentioned, he is president of the Work Institute, and he's co-written the Why Factor, which is the winning with workforce intelligence. And he's deemed an agent of change and a thought leader. So we're very lucky to have him with us today. He has a background from both HR and corporate services, and he focuses on the human capital dynamics of organizations. So we always say that's our biggest and most prized assets, right? So he mixes, uh, I guess, the old school HR with data-driven research, and today he's going to be sharing things from a recently published retention report that the Work Institute publishes. So, Danny, welcome. We are very happy to have you with us today. Thank you both, Annette. Annie, it's great to be here with you today. I'm really excited about the uh, conversation, and you guys make me feel bad with all these podcasts you're listening to. (laughs) I I feel like I'm old because I'm sort of an old-school reader for the most part, although I listen to the occasional book on uh, on the uh, on my iPad, but goodness, you guys listen to things all the time. Well, that, that's the we're the lazy man's reader, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we're going to inspire you to get into the podcast mood and start listening to some podcasts. Well, we can start with Leader Spotlight. So, there you uh, go. <laughs> absolutely. You, I hit the the softball and you hit it right out of the park. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's 
I think we're on the, I feel like there's like this edge of talking about the future of the workforce with you, but I want to begin with just some of the research, some of your data-driven research that you have about the workforce today, and then maybe we'll get into kind of your thoughts on that workforce of the future. We'll have you back on, but let's just kind of start with, um, you know, what, what you're seeing in the report that you published. The retention report. Absolutely. So this is the third year that we've actually produced um, our retention report. So one of the core services that Work Institute offers is actually conducting uh, exit interviews with significant companies all across the U.S. We've got about 175 or so companies that make up our client base that we include in the retention report. And so One of the major focuses in putting out the report is that we want to really change the narrative around what some of the popular press um, communicates or publishes related to the reasons employees leave. Uh, You know, the typical narrative is, well, they leave because of the manager. You know, you've heard it a million times. Employees don't leave companies, they leave managers. And then, of course, the other narrative, which is they leave for money. And, you know, neither of those two things are, you know, number one in terms of why employees leave. And so, really, we're trying to get out a lot more truth related to why employees leave, uh, what's causing voluntary turnover in the U.S., and and really getting employers to start thinking about it differently. Um, And so, that's really the purpose of the report. And And honestly, this year kind of took on a little bit of a different tone because this being our third year to publish the report, um, you know, you sort of look at the trends and you look at the same things that are going on year after year. And then you start to say, well, what are employers doing about it? And our perception is employers are just not doing a whole lot as it relates to changing their strategies related to retaining their current employees. Yeah, that's, I I know it's interesting. You have in the report kind of turnover categories and um, that was interesting to me as well. And some of the just stats, Uh, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about, and you talk about one of the turnover categories being um, voluntarily leaving an organization. So kind of define that for us and then talk a little bit about that. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you, Annette. You said we talk about it voluntarily. Is that what you said? I'm sorry. Yeah, about people leaving um, voluntarily, how they leave an organization. So kind of define that and then uh, kind of give us a little bit of um, background about that. Because that that was interesting. I hadn't really heard it in that term before. Yeah, so, you know, when we look at, and most companies tend to categorize Uh, people leaving is either voluntary or involuntary. And involuntary means that we're actually um, firing them, if you want to use the old-fashioned terminology, but we're terminating them for cause or something, whether it be layoff or whether it be uh, poor performance or whatever. And then we look at voluntary turnover. And that's really what we're looking at in our retention report is voluntary. But then we take it one step further and look at those things that we consider to be more preventable versus less preventable. And what are, what are the different trends in those particular areas? Because there are reasons for leaving, you know, take relocation, for example. There's a whole lot of factors around relocation that don't seem to be very preventable for employers. And we get that, and we get that those could be the case. But manager behavior, on the other hand, is something that we feel like companies can absolutely do something about 
and that they've got to be doing a better job of, you know, developing their managers, helping their managers to perform at a higher level, and making employee retention a focus for uh, those managers. And this is some of the areas that we just don't see any significant improvement at all. Um, and so we really think about it in those terms. And again, really trying to get employers to start paying attention and start to look at things through uh, a different lens, if you will. So what, what was you mentioned about uh, things that were surprising or this was different, this um, go around in your third year? What were some of the things that were different in this report that are catching your eye? Well, again, when we look at those um, preventable reasons, and, you know, let me just kind of point out that those preventable reasons are things like career development, work-life balance, manager behavior, even comp and benefits to some degree, um, you know, well, employee well-being, job characteristics. Those are the type of things that we talk about when we talk about preventable reasons. And the big thing we saw is that all of those things are either staying the same or increasing pretty substantially. When you think of the things that are um, not preventable or less preventable around things like uh, about involuntary turnover, about retirement, about relocation, those tend to be declining. Um, so those are going down. Um, and th that was maybe one of the biggest sort of aha moments, if you will, for us was just looking at that six-year trend and seeing where these are going. And then you take, again, something like manager behavior. I mean, it's been sitting at about 12 or 13%. So more than one out of every 10 employees that's leaving in the U.S. is citing the manager behavior and not just I don't like my manager, but the behavior that manager exhibits on a daily basis as being the root cause of why they left their job. And this is something that we just feel like companies could absolutely do more. And, and it's not just the fact that it's statistically or, or a percentage of that. It's when you dig into the actual reason. And we ask employees to put in their own words why they left the company. And then we sort of code it, if you will, or categorize it into this manager theme. But the things that they talk about um, are just things that it's like when we show our customers and our, or our clients those verbatims or those words, inevitably they go, uh, we, we could have done something about that. We could have done something. If we had only known, we could have actually done something about that. And yet they don't um, and because these numbers just continue to not change. And, you're, and they're finding that out mainly in exit interviews, right? After, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I think um, – you know, the work that I do is really around leader development and organizational culture. And it's funny because I think, you know, people don't come to us and say, hey, we just want to make sure we're starting off right and building the, a great culture and really developing our people. They're usually coming because there's a problem, which mm -hmm. then it's a little bit too late. You know, you're trying to play catch up. But companies, I know that culture is that big word now that, um, you know, everybody's using, but it, it's so important because it is what creates the environment and how they get things done and why people want stay to stay connected to your organization. And it's the one that they don't invest a lot of money in a lot of the times. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that 
part of the challenge is that I think that we talk about culture, but then I think a lot of companies kind of fall back on some of their traditional methods for trying to measure things like culture. And so, if you will, the other narrative that we have going on is employee engagement. And although I think culture and employee engagement are have some um, some commonalities, at the end of the day, they're they're different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that employers fall back on that engagement component. And, and yet we see repeatedly that engagement is not moving. I mean, if you want to believe Gallup's measure, which I could go on another whole podcast about some of the challenges with that measurement, but, <laughs> um, but it would say that engagement hasn't changed in the U.S. for you know, 20 years. I mean, a few percentage points here and there. And that number is that you know, less than 30% of employees in the U.S. are actually engaged in their work. I mean, you know, no wonder they're leaving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then culture, I would say, is one of those backdrops that says if we're creating the right culture, then employees are more likely to be engaged. And that means that they're likely to stay for a, for a lot longer period of time. So they're they're all interconnected. But I think that companies either simplify it to one or the other and don't really look at the entire connectivity of those three things and then focus on them both collectively and individually. And that's that's the other piece is that, um, you know, there are there's some data out there that starts to talk about the reasons people stay versus the reasons empl- employees leave. And they're not always the same reason. Um, and so, you know, the way that I get people to, to at least say they're staying, but then ultimately why they leave, and a lot of that is flaws in um, – sort of methodology, if you will, because we can do a research project on finding out why employees stay, but that's at a single point in time, if you will, right? Yeah. Well, six months yeah. later, the reason that they left could be completely different because what no, you know, what happened in that six-month period and the employment relationship and just our um, economics around employment are changing so dramatically, so fast, that you really have to be paying attention to all three of those things. Yeah, and I I think it's important in culture that you have a culture that's transparent and innovative that people feel comfortable bringing you the issues and talking about things that aren't working well. Because if you have that kind of culture, then you're going to get that input before the exit interview. (laughs) Now, Now we don't have, you know, we're not facilitating those conversations and then we you know, hire a group like yours that come in and do these exit interviews. And then we get the information we needed probably a year ago from right. our employee base. Well, and I would say that there's, there's also both the formal and the informal in that. Um, and I think what you're describing in, in some ways is the informal feedback. So, you know, how are we developing our managers to just be good listeners? And, and are they having those one-on-one informal conversations with their employees that are going to tell them things about uh, what's going on. Uh, But then we need to supplement that with the more formal things, whether it be an onboarding survey or an annual engagement or baseline study, whatever, whatever terminology a company wants to use and things like exit interviews. And then you can use things, use things like stay interviews or pulse surveys all of these things can be complementary, but I think what you're describing is also just that genuine um, culture that says we're going to talk to each other and we're going to talk to each other about what matters. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 
So I think it requires both because the one thing the informal can't do is it doesn't have a formal measurement. And, and you talked early on in my introduction about trying to sort of take some of the old school human capital thought, but now bringing in data. And, and if I've become one thing in the time, a little over nine years I've been at the Work Institute, it is a data nerd. Because um, I look at it all the time, not only the data we collect from our customers, but you guys listen to podcasts, the Bureau of Labor Statistics website is my friend. I spend so much time <laughs> digging around in their data. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I really want to bring data into that. And we'll talk about that as I, I, one of the things I think you're going to talk about later on is sort of some leaders I admire and I want to bring that up during that period. Okay. Well, talk a little bit about, um, you know, in the report, career development, you know, really having advancement or opportunity for growth in organizations. What are things companies can do to give people that sense of they're going someplace? <laughs> they, you know, what they're doing matters and they're also developing themselves. So what, what would be some things you would recommend organizations can do? Okay. And, and then if it's okay, I want to step back just for a moment because I want your listeners to really understand one difference about the Work Institute and how we're collecting this information. Because I think it's important and I'll explain why as we talk about career development. But one of the things that's really different about us is, again, we're just simply asking people to put in their own words why they left. We're not limiting them to just selections in a drop-down box, right? Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times in a survey, career development might be one of those options to choose. And so I might choose career development, but then it becomes a question of what does that career development really mean, okay? And so when we look at career development as a, as a category, um, we look at everything from type of work to lack of growth and development to they return to school to no advancement or promotional opportunity. Um, and then job security kind of comes in there as well. One of the things that's really important is to recognize the difference, for example, between type of work, lack of growth and development, and no advancement or promotional opportunity. Those are three very different career-oriented issues. And it really requires us to get to that granularity of information for us to start to build on what it is we need to do. So uh, when you talk about what companies can do, the first thing, of course, being the data nerd that I am, is say, we need to get your data. And everybody says, well, exit interviews, for example, are sort of a, a post-mortem, if you will, or they're an autopsy. Well, they're also a predictive analytic. Uh, because there is a lot of research to show that the reasons employees leave are representative of an at-risk population in your company today. And so they're predictive of why people are going to leave in the future. And we've shown over and over again that if you, if you actually address these reasons for leaving, you can actually reduce your overall turnover. So they're a predictive analytic. But what companies need to do is really start with the data. And then in this career development area, then if I understand that lack of growth and development is a bigger issue than, say, no advancement or promotional opportunity, then I can put the right practices in place. So lack of growth and development is really about learning in my job. I want to be better at what I'm doing. I want to grow as a person. I want to just develop my overall knowledge and skill base. Not that I'm looking for my next promotion. Those are just things that are important to me. And um, Brad Smart used to talk about this in his um, 
in one of his books that I'm, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm uh, top grading. Um, and he talked about A role players. Well, those A role players are people that aren't necessarily looking for promotion all the time. They're in a role and they're happy in that role. And they might be in that role for 10 years. And we all know examples of those kind of people. But they also want to constantly be learning and developing. They want to build their skills. They want to build their knowledge. And they want to be better at what they're doing. Well, that, those are some of the things that we need to be paying attention to. If it's an issue of advancement or promotional opportunities, then what are we doing as it relates to career ladders? What are we doing as it relates to succession planning and succession management? What are we doing as it relates to um, identifying maybe our um, key players and, and you know our high potentials, if you will, and what are we doing for them? So those things require different strategies, but it all starts with the data and being able to understand what it is that's going to make a difference in my organization. And one of the and, and we find that so many companies and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and argue that the you know if I Google best practice for best practices for employee retention, I'm gonna get hundreds of thousands of responses and there's gonna be everybody's theory on what those best practices are. And almost none of those are bad ideas. It's just a question of are those ideas going to make a difference because that may not be the, the issue that's going on. Well, let me, let me give you one little stat from three years ago. So we, we haven't repeated this in our, in our retention report, but it was in our first retention report back in 2017. We actually looked at what we call the turnover profile, the turnover profile being the top three reasons for leaving in, a in an employer in the same order. And it turned out that less than 8% of all companies out of our 175 shared the same turnover profile. That's how <laughs> unique they were. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to take one recipe, right? And apply it. <laughs> apply Absolutely. it like it's going to work. That's, uh, you could come write our retention report next year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so the other thing in the report that I loved, it was really around these additional insights. So talk a little bit about just some of the um, ways that you, I'm going to say slice the data. Um, you know, like you look at turnover and sex differences, you look at turnover and the generations. Uh, so get, give us a little overview of what you were seeing around some of the um the ways you sliced it to look at turnover? Because I think that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the easy one, and the easy one be by tenure. So one of the things that is going on in the U.S. today and, and has been going on for a long time is just first-year turnover. Uh, and it turns out that 38, I think it's 38.6, if I remember my number off the top of my head, uh, of employees uh, that, that voluntarily turned last year left within the first year. That is a staggering number. That means more than one out of every three people that I hire actually leave within a year. And that turnover is extraordinarily expensive because uh, I often talk about, you know, our brain wants to say that if I lose somebody that's been here six years, it's actually more expensive than if they left when they were only here for six months. But that's actually not true because that person stayed for six years, although we're losing an incredible employee and lots of knowledge we gained a lot of return on that investment over six years. When we lose somebody at six months, we never really got a whole lot of ROI out of that person for how much it cost us to hire them, how much it cost us to train them, how much it cost us to develop them, all of those things. So that first-year turnover is extremely um, costly, 
and it has gone down slightly. It was actually at 41% in 2018 and dropped to 38.6. But so maybe companies are starting to recognize that and are doing a little better. I really am looking forward to seeing the number next year. Um, and I suspect it's not going to move a lot. Um, I think the thing about turnover and generational differences is interesting. And it's interesting from the perspective of, you know, there is so much noise, I think, right now as it relates to the generational differences. And we are, I, I'm going to be really blunt, I, we're stereotyping a generation. We're stereotyping the young workers of today. And if we were doing that same thing and the, the terminology we use about not being loyal and being lazy and not being willing to work and, you know, not coming to work often enough and all those things, and we said that about older workers, we'd probably all be in jail um, because we're just stereotyping this generation. Guess what? Younger people change jobs more often and have for a long time. Since the, the really the late 1990s, when we went from more of an employer in control environment to an employee in control environment, that has pretty much held true. And it's it, we we created this situation. We think it's because they're not loyal, but look at it. We have portable health care for all intents and purposes. We have portable retirement plans. Um, you know, Annette, if it, it, you can answer me this, but if if we had interviewed, if an older person had interviewed somebody, say, 10 years ago that had worked, you know, five jobs in 10 years, what would we have called them? Yeah, job hopper. It would have right. been a now, huge red flag. Yeah, they're not loyal. We, and yet, if we interview somebody today and they've spent had one job for 10 years, what do we say about them? Yeah. They're, 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 they're lazy. They're not yeah. motivated. <laughs> Then nobody else wants them. <laughs> right. So it's like we've created this narrative and we've created these circumstances. And then when we have younger employers that are that are reacting to the conditions that have been created, then it's their fault. And, and it just seems to be um, that we're we're making them the problem. Um, and so when we when we slice this data, we were looking at those type of things and thinking about it more as not as generations, but as career stage. So when people are the current millennials are in that early year, early career stage. So career development is a big issue for them and they leave more often that for career development reasons. Um, manager behavior they don't leave as often for manager behavior as those in Gen X and the baby boomers, right? And so yeah. it's, it's looking at these things and saying, how does this equate to the career stage that people are, leave, are in as opposed to trying to label them with a, gener, with a generational labor, uh, label? Excuse me. Yeah, I thought that really, was interesting that I would have, before I saw this report, I would have said that you probably have the younger generations leaving across the board more, but your research shows that that's not true. So I think that's interesting. Um, now, you know, again, when you, you know, we talk about action and we talk about wanting to do something about it. So, you know, again, we want to break down our data. And if we literally break down our data, then we can start to see, well, are there are, are younger people are early career stage? We don't even try and we try and stay away from just labeling them as young. 
But those in the early career stage, why are they leaving? And are there things that we as a company should be doing different to be able to address those um, reasons for leaving in the early career stage? Versus in that mid-career stage, are the, are the reasons differently? And so should we be addressing those in a certain way? Um, and trying not think about it as being generational differences, but being career stage issues. Um, I think that would actually help employers to be more, um, uh, what's the right word? I'm, less emotional about it. Let the data point to it. And let's stay away from labels. Let's stay away from trying to describe more. Because as soon as anybody says, well, millennials this, the whole narrative changes, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. I really do think that's really key about looking at career stage. And I think, too, that probably applies when you're really trying to address turnover internally. And, and you could even look at, in an organization, where are you having the most turnover? At what stage you know, a level, if you will, in an organization? And is it is it around the career development piece of it? I think that's really right. important. You know, when we look at the reasons for leaving by um, sex, I mean, I, this is an area where I try and not make too many assumptions, okay? I, I think that this might be one of those situations where benchmarking could be important. Um, and that is simply that if I was looking at this data and I was looking at my data as an employer, I might want to compare it to some normative data because I might want to see, especially when it comes to sex, are people leaving for dramatically different reasons? So because if you take career development, for example, then, you know, our data says that, that males leave more often for career development than females. Well, if it's flip-flop, what does that tell me? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? You know, and I'm not even saying that I would qualify it as being either. It's just because it is so different, then do are there conditions in my company that are causing something that might be biased to occur? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not saying just the benchmark data is going to guarantee me that answer, but it is one of those instances where, I don't want to look at this and say, okay, well, I think I know why, you know, females leave for work-life balance more often than males do. I mean, I think we all have our stereotypes for why that might be the case, but I don't think we want to get into the stereotyping um, mode. So I simply want to say, well, if your company looks different than this, then maybe it's something that, that bears more investigation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I have a question because I would love to do another segment with you just on the future workforce. But but let me ask you, um, and I know this is, you know, data that you've collected, but but when you really look at the impact of technology and maybe it's AI, uh, you know, maybe it's the workforce of the future, what do do you think is going to happen in organizations around this whole retention piece of it? Because I know people now are like, robots are going to take our jobs. And, you know, the data is not showing that. It actually shows that they employ actually more people. But but where do you think the workforce of the future is going? And how is that going to impact retention, do you think? Wow. You know, I... 
I'm not sure I can look far enough in advance to, to have a strong feeling because one of the things that's really bothering me today, and I was actually um, reading a Wall Street Journal article um, earlier, it actually came out last week, but I didn't get to it until today, where, you know, we have almost seven, you know, just shy of seven and a half million open jobs, and we only have, I think it's 5.8 million job seekers out there, right? So right now we have this massive gap, the widest in use since the data has been being tracked between the number of open jobs and the number of um, available workers. And I think the number was 400,000 of those are in the construction industry, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a need for people in the trades, plumbers, electricians, construction workers, all of those things. And so when we talk about that, you know, this is what we, the, this is what we end up doing. We start talking about this workforce of the future and we go to things like AI and we go to those things along those lines, but then we forget that there are so many jobs that it wouldn't matter how much you tried, you just simply can't automate it, right? And there is a massive shortage of those people uh, in the U.S. workforce today that are going to be those skilled trade type workers. Um, and so that's that's the first thing that sort of jumps out at me is that somehow the workforce of the future is going to, and and maybe I would look at it even in the education world, somehow we're going to have to change the narrative about what what is education about. Education should be about preparing someone for work, by and large. And so if we're preparing for them for work, then what is the work that we're preparing them for? And do we understand the needs of the workforce in general? That, to me, is where it's going to have to start. We're going to have to start to think about the education um, mindset a little bit differently in preparing people for the workforce, Um, and that is going to help us to to just fulfill a need that we have right now because we could get a stalling in jobs and job creation because there simply aren't any people to go into those jobs. So I think that's one of the things that I first see is we have to start thinking about what are the jobs in the U.S. that need people to fill them and how are we going to prepare them to go into those available jobs. So that's the first thing I think about. How is technology going to change the future? Um, I just think we need to make sure that we're using technology where it's going to be most useful. and looking at it in terms of are we creating an actual better result? Uh, and one of the things that's sort of bugging me right now is all of this talk about AI as it relates to hiring practices. So we're using artificial intelligence to do assessments, pre-employment assessments, but we're also using AI to do resume screening or application screening to figure out who is the best fit for the job. You know, if I have a thousand applicants, let me let a tool go figure out who's actually got the right qualifications. Well, just because it's written a certain way in an application or written a certain way in a resume, does that really tell us whether this is the right person for the job? And then that that assessment is all built around certain norms about people that are going to be either have the potential to be successful in job, and yet 38.6% of people are leaving within the first year. So that something is not going right with the fact that we are trying to use artificial intelligence, use technology in that hiring process, and yet first-year turnover is extremely high. So that's 
So I, I think we have to look at it in terms of, is it really helping us to achieve outcomes, not just be more efficient? Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity with just the learning and development and, and, and investing in people you have to get different skills, whether it's, you know, analytical skills, whether it's somebody to go in to, you know, do more research or learn more technology. I think there's a lot of opportunity there as well that, again, companies would have to invest in, right? You'd have to invest in your people to retool themselves to help elevate a company in those areas as well. Yeah, I, you know, I hope that that's part of what, again, there may be things in development. There may be things that we can do. I know there's some career development platforms that have come out that I think are really kind of neat um, and might be able to help because, I mean, I understand, especially if you have a large workforce, that it's hard to sort of accumulate information, again, through that or informal communication. So, there may be needs for creating technology to be able to bring a lot of information together and a lot of data together that then helps us to figure out how do we take action on the most meaningful things. And I think career development might be one of those areas where one of the things that I've talked about a lot about is that a lot of times with HR departments in general, so, and I, I put myself in this category is that, you know, I had the idea that I wanted to look at the organizational goals. I wanted to look at the organizational objectives. And then I wanted to ensure that how we develop employees is in fact going to help us to achieve our objective. It was very much a, is that in alignment? That doesn't work in an employee in control world because now the employee becomes um, they are in the position of being their own career manager. And so they want to look at not only what's going to help align me with that company's objectives, but what also aligns with my objectives. And those at times may be seemingly not connected. So, and I think a lot of times we take too much of a hard line. I mean, we have, you know, nurses who want to go to school and be a, a physician assistant or nurse practitioner and the tuition reimbursement program doesn't offer that at one organization, but they can go to another and they could get that. Well, it's going to take them two, three, four years to get through school. Did you just lose two to three years of great employment from somebody that wanted to go back to school and better themselves, even though you might not be utilizing nurse practitioners in your, in your organization? It seems short-sighted to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's a, uh, the whole education topic. We could probably have a great um, two or three episodes on that because I, I agree with having, you know, four kids that are uh, three that are out of college and one finishing up. It's sometimes I ask myself, you know, a lot of those questions around those same topics. So well, I'm, a proud, I'm a proud dad today. My uh, son graduated from college a couple of weeks ago, and today is his first day on the job. So I can't wait to hear how his first day went. There you go. That's like pay. You have a pay increase for you, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you just Absolutely. got raised. <laughs> well, um, I know you're going to share with the listeners this report, which I think is going to be great. Um, in that, there is a six-step kind of strategy, a strategic approach that you talk about that uh, for employee retention that I think is good. Um, is there anything you want to share about that? I mean, I know they'll be able to read about it, but uh, I always love to give steps or 
things that they can turn around and do right now to implement uh, how to really address this internally? You know, I, this is one of the, the, the things that we struggled with the wording around. So, you know, I, so let me give you the Reader's Digest version of what we're talking about, and that way it might help. But, you know, step one, we talk about problem opportunity identification. Well, yeah, maybe more important than just identifying it as a problem is just deciding to do something. And I think too many companies still in the employee retention space haven't truly decided to do anything. And when they, and, and they have this indecision, I, I can't tell you the number of companies that I've spoken to who have high turnover and yet it goes on for months and months and months and more and more people are walking out the door and it's costing the company hundreds of thousands of dollars and yet they just don't have the urgency to address it. So not just problem op and opportunity identification, but actually deciding to do something. Um, step two, we talk about the employee voice. And, and when I talk about employee voice as it relates to retention, we really need to get hard data. We can't make assumptions around why people are leaving or why they're staying. We need to have hard data that really um, gives us direction. Uh, and I think maybe number, you know, step number four might be the most important where we talk about accountability management and action planning. Um, I, I actually do a fair amount of speaking engagements across the, the country, and this is where I hear the most frustration is that um, managers don't want to have accountability for retention. They want to blame it on everything and everybody else. Um, I, I talk all the time. The managers say they're leaving for money. HR says they're leaving because of the manager, and it's like we're throwing a football back and forth across the fence and nothing ever happens. Um, and there needs to be accountability in operations, not in HR, but then we need to give operations that data that's going to help them to make better decisions and address the issues that, that actually exist in the organization. I like that. You also talk about that continuous communications and then the ongoing evaluation of that employee voice too, which I like. Um, which insinuates that it's not a, you go in once and then you've got it. <laughs> it's a, it's something you practice over and over and it becomes part of, of your operations. Yeah. How many times do you go into companies where they're continuously communicating about the things they're doing to build retention? They don't talk about those things because I think they feel like it's a, a black eye if they talk about the fact that people have left. Well, we need to be talking about that because you need to convince the people that are there that you're doing something in order to get them to stay longer and having them stay longer matters to you. Um, I talked earlier about the predictive analytic component of um, exit interviews. One of the things that we have found is that this ongoing collection and evaluation of the employee voice, um, if you are doing exit interviews on an ongoing basis, which most of our clients are, and you're acting aggressively and appropriately on employee turnover, you will see those reasons for leaving shift. And we have case studies that have shown that things moved out of that preventable range and into those in unpreventable while overall declining their employee turnover. If I, I, the number of clients that have called and said, you know, when we don't have a lot of client uh, clients that are, aren't uh, staying with us, but the ones that left, it would say, you know, we're, we're just not going to do exit interviews because the data never changes. And the first question I ask is, well, what have you been doing? Well, nothing. Okay, well, fine. Uh, you've never done anything and your data never changes. 
yeah, it's probably not worth your while to keep doing them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, I, uh, I, I love this topic because I, I agree with you. I think it's, um, I think it's that topic that people only talk about with a few people around the table behind a closed door and, and, you know, today, especially culture and that employee voice is so visible with Glassdoor and, and most people that are going to come work for your company. I mean, this doesn't even talk about the people that won't even interview with your company because of what they've already seen <laughs> externally, but, um, you know, it's, it's out there. So, you know, people are, the organization is going to have to address it because they're just not going to be able to attract the talent they need. Well, it's like, it's like companies with that you're doing business with too, right? I mean, we, there's a, we actually helped a grad student do a, a, a grad, uh, their thesis paper on, you know, this whole idea that when employees leave their organization and they leave for bad reasons, they tell everybody about the reasons they left and how bad things were, right? Mm-hmm. Just like if you have a bad customer experience at a restaurant, you tell everybody how bad it is. And that word gets around, and, and it makes it harder for you to be able to attract the people that you need to attract into your organization. Well, thank you so much. I know um, Annie's going to be able to share uh, this resource with our listeners. So, Annie, do you want to tell people how to – access this yeah so the 2019 retention report that you guys have been discussing is available at annetteklazowski.com slash leader spotlight and that link will be available on our instagram as well as in the uh, description wherever you're listening Yes. And uh yeah and gosh i would also just encourage anybody that needs a speaker Danny, you are a prime person to come and speak. Uh, you can talk to the research. You can talk to your experience and insights. So I would um, also put that out there for people always looking for good speakers. And uh, we thank you for, for being on here. And at the end, we always ask our guests to tell us who are their four kind of closest mentor, friends, colleagues, because as that saying goes, Show me who you're closest to, and I'll show you your future. So won't you share your four with us? I will. Let me put a plug in real quick, if you don't mind, though, about coming and speaking. A lot of times, actually, companies have us come in and speak to the retention report because it actually helps them to better understand and prepare their managers for the fact that they they need to be thinking about this a little bit different. So it's not just limited to associations or chambers, but also bringing it into companies. You know, my... My admired leaders, you know, I one of the people that I, you, you guys asked me to prepare this, so I put a list together, and I, I, there's a gentleman named Dave Hauser that I put on here, and it's, it's really unbelievable because Dave was really the first significant figure that I worked for way back when I was still in college, uh, but I will forever remember him because he always challenged you to do things that you didn't think you could do. Um, you know, it was that, hey, Nelms, get in here, your next mission, and you will accept it. And he would go off into something that you thought, how in the world am I ever going to get this done? And for me, as a young 20, 21-year-old, I was like, I can't, how does he expect me to get it done? And then, lo and behold, I would figure out a way to do it. So I, that has stuck with me for, you know, my entire career. Um, you know, secondly, there's a great gentleman here in um, Middle Tennessee area where we're where we are headquartered, 
Uh, his name is Joe Scarlett. Some of you have heard of uh, Tractor Supply Corporation. So it's uh, uh, retail stores for the kind of the farmers and, and the backyard uh, enthusiasts, if you will. But Joe was all about ethics, and, and everything was about ethics mattered. And you had to be ethical in the workplace. You had to be ethical in your practices with your customers. And he has just never stood so steadfast on that message around ethics. And I, I really appreciated Joe. And actually, we had the opportunity um, a couple of years ago to merge with what his namesake company, the Scarlet Leadership Institute, um, and I can tell you that that resonates with the team of people that have worked with the Scarlet Leadership Institute and how important it is. Um, I talked earlier about just this idea of old, old school human capital with sort of this new age data and really the pioneer in costing human capital behavior, things like turnover and smoking cessation and training and development was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jack Fitzsimmons. Uh, and I only met Dr. Jack once, but I've read all of his books, and I, I, you know, talked to him that one time, and I was just so influenced by looking at human resources through this lens of costing human behavior and being able to apply dollars and numbers to the things that we did in human resources, because that is not the norm, and it's not even the norm today. And I wanted to be a different kind of human resource leader, and I wanted to be able to look at it from a business perspective, and I think... Dr. Jack actually helped to, to sort of fuel that. Uh, and then lastly was a, a CEO that I worked for, Dixon Thayer. And what I so appreciated about Dixon was just his focus. He was so focused. He set great expectations. But the one thing that was so great about Dixon is uh, Dixon would talk about sort of telling you at the outset of a conversation what you were looking for. And he would say, you know, if you're looking for a decision, this is what you need to have done. If you're looking for help making a decision, then you've got to tell me that. And literally his entire demeanor would change based on I'm making a decision versus will you help me make a decision. He would take his CEO hat off and become your internal consultant and help you to understand how to think about things differently and how to think about making this decision. And I thought it was just phenomenal. And I experienced that on a number of occasions. Um, and, and it was just I thought it was so different from the traditional CEO where you could go and be vulnerable and say, I need help making this decision. Can you help me think about it? And he immediately went into a different mode. Um, and I really admired that. Yeah, that's great. That's actually a great quality to for all the leaders listening to implement with the teams that they lead. I like that. Yep. Well, thank you. It was uh, very um, insightful, and um, I love learning about your um, organization, which I did not know about, and uh, the report and all the work that you do. So thank you so much for taking time to be with us, and we will share your information, and I encourage everybody to bring you in to speak. Well, I look forward to it. And I really appreciate your time today, Annette. Uh, it was a great conversation. Annie, thanks for all the work ahead of time to get us prepared for this. I really appreciate that. And uh, look forward to uh, maintaining contact and talking again soon. Hey, all. Annie here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaders Spotlight. Make sure to visit our website, AnnetteKlazowski.com forward slash Leaders Spotlight, where you can find resources mentioned on this show, as well as past episodes. Check for new episodes of Leaders Spotlight every Friday, 
Or better yet, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leaders Spotlight. 